A very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme with you right through until 12 midday. Now, a few weeks ago, we covered a story of uh, some concerns in the Ballyban neighbourhood area in relation to works, uh, ongoing works that were going there. And it was, uh, at the time, it was reported indeed uh, locally uh, that um, some refugees were being put into the location. Uh, again, it was... Uh, Absolutely discounted, not happening, nobody spoke to the department. Now the work continued and the um, the workers uh, continued on site. But anyway, let me just go to Councillor Mike Crow, John on the line, uh, because over the weekend we've been contacted by a number of residents yet again. There is, there is concerns um, that again they've applied for um, permission and they've applied to the department indeed uh, that handles this, but uh, he has further details for me. Uh, Councillor Crow, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good. Thank you. Can you hear me all right there? I can, yes. Yeah. Can maybe I, if you're driving, I might just get you to pull in if you don't mind, but I'm just I'm getting a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, echo coming back to me. What do we know about Ballyban and the neighbourhood village area there, and the the works that were done there? Is it going to become a centre? Well, I understand that um, the owners have contacted the department to state that the building is available for consideration to house um, asylum seekers. Um, as you said at the outset of this, this segment, Keith, um, you and I have had discussions on air about this for a number of times since the uh, beginning of the year. Um, and up, up, up until now, all of this was denied. Um, now, I was chasing the local authority that is Galway City Council on the matter as well, and um, Galway City Council informed me on Friday that they have been contacted directly by the um, by the department uh, who look after the international protection procurement services element of it, and that they confirm that they are in discussions with um, the owners of that Ballyban uh, neighbourhood centre about possibly uh, using it as an asylum uh, seeking accommodation services. Um, now, they, what, interesting, what they have asked Galway City Council to do is to make a submission to them if they wish um, uh, on any aspect that might concern the council um, in using this building for for the specified service, uh, in, and in particular in relation to fire and planning. So um, as late as this morning on foot of this then, I was in contact with the officials in Galway City Council. They have already gone back to uh, the department and requested further information, and they expect to receive that um, in either today or tomorrow and on foot of receiving that uh, they will then consider what what is best for them next to do now again i was getting mixed messages over the weekend um but i'm led to believe that it, this is for um women and children well i i'm not in a position to say uh to say uh, we'll say what demographic of person um, we're talking about here, whether it's men and women and children, whether it's men and women, whether it's just men, whether it's just women, I don't have that information. And they haven't disclosed that information um, to the local authority either. So I think that's important to say. So I, I, I say that because I don't think anybody really knows. And I suppose from my point of view, as a public representative for the area, it's important that I'm frank and honest with all of your listeners and particularly all the people living in or around um, the Ballyban area. So that that hasn't been firmed up yet. What also hasn't been firmed up is that this is actually fully going ahead. Yeah. My sense of it is, though, again, to be honest with, with your listeners, my sense of it is is that it's a long way down the road. Um, but um, it's also interesting, Keith, that the department have asked the local authority, Galway City Council, for their input and their feedback because, as we know, 
from uh, from situations like this over the last year. This that that hasn't happened regularly, or certainly hasn't happened at all. I think it certainly hasn't happened regularly. Normally, this is done overnight. It's signed and sealed, and nobody has any say into it. So I think through through my contact with the, the minister's department from our conversation some weeks ago, um, and from the pressure that I and maybe and maybe to be fair, other public representatives have been putting on the council, we now have a, we now will have an opportunity, or the local authority will, to feed input into the department and uh, see see what the input is and see where that goes. So, from your point of view, then, if, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong here, because I was getting so much information over the weekend, um, you're saying this is definitely not a done deal. And if it is if it is going to be used in the future, it's going to be down the road on this one because there's a body of work to be done in the meantime. Yeah, but I, I think, again, to be clear, um, while this is not an absolute done deal, I do think it's a long way down the road. I, 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 don't, I don't know how long into the future uh, it will go on. Um, there are, my, my concern um, my concern is for the, the people that live in the area who will say have have we say legitimate concerns of a of a, any amount of pe- additional people coming in overnight to already put pressure on the services that are that are there which are which are under intense pressure at the moment with regard to uh, I would say recreation facilities even road facilities uh, all of that um, mm. and the, a number of residents have been in contact with me over the weekend and over the last number of weeks to say that and I suppose that's what I want to highlight and I think as well that the input from the local authority um, will have to uh, consider that aspect of it Keith. Um, because the area itself uh, is under pressure with regard to ordinary everyday services, um, and if you're if you're adding an additional uh, hundred or two hundred people from wherever they are, whether they're Irish, foreign, or or anywhere, then overnight, I mean, it's going to add a, uh, put additional pressures on the system. On the so system, that has yeah. to be considered. But look, I I continue to 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 keep the pressure on, so to speak, with regard to Galway City Council and highlight what I believe is, it should be included at least in the submission to the department before an actual final decision is made. And and also, Keith, what's also important is that we'll say there was, and we spoke about this, we spoke about this um, some weeks ago. There was a fire application applied for uh, for the said building um, uh, some uh, sometime in in January. We don't know where that's at. Uh, that's a very that's a very particular uh, important component um, of of being able to provide uh, a service like this. So mm-hmm. it, it, that'll have to be. And also, as the as the IPPS, the International Procurement, sorry, the International Protection Procurement Services have a, a, have also alluded to the planning end of it. How what would go with City Council feel on that? And I suppose that's where um, that's where the likes of me and 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 others, if 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 they wish can, would say, feed into the into the, the officials in housing and go city council and say, look, these are concerns and hear why they are. Yeah. But again, I suppose I, I would be thinking that it has to be a collective agreement across the board um, because we have a legal duty indeed to house these people coming into this country. Now, the numbers are dropping, so um, how much they're dropping by is, isn't overly significant, but it's, it is significant. Um, and I saw calls over the weekend from people saying that if they arrived in, into this country, and one man did, uh, arrived in without a passport, he was turned around and sent home again. So, I mean, there's people are trying to work this through as well, uh, but there is a duty of care by this country to others as well. Yeah, I think that's you, you're correct there and all of that. I think the system, uh, with regard, the system has toughened up in the last number of months. I think the government um, has to be given some credit for that. It's certainly, in my view, and I stress in my view, there was a kind of a, it wasn't tight enough, uh, definitely throughout much of 2023. It has tightened up a lot. 
the number of countries on the safe list as described are, is increasing. Also, the, the airport and border securities and port securities have all tightened up. And uh, there last week, um, uh, last week or week before, but re very recently, for example, one man uh, boarded a plane in Luxembourg and landed in Dublin and uh, had no passport, apparently lost his passport on the flight. Uh, that, that individual, I understand, is now residing in one of the, the country's prisons until this matter is resolved. Mm -hmm. So the whole system is tightening, but it needs to tighten. And I suppose the people that, that need help, um, we should try to do our best to help. But the people that are abusing the system are, are not entitled to be here um, are trying to, and I say this genuinely, not as a, as a, 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 for any other reason, but anyone trying to freeload the system, it shouldn't, that should not be entertained and allowed. And I think, Keith, and we, we spoke about it before, the, the, the self-deportation um, that was there is changing as well. And those that are found that, that aren't legally entitled to be here will be, I suppose, in time helped out of the country or escorted out of the country to ensure that they go back to wherever it is they go because <laughs> they cannot remain here. We, we, have, and we have enormous pressures on housing, as we all know, um, throughout the country. And we have an obligation internationally to accommodate those that need to but we certainly have no obligation to accommodate those that are not entitled to be and i'm glad to see that the government are listening and they're tightening the system but at the moment to come back to this i suppose is that the concerns are valid by the people that live in the area they're genuine concerns and i think that um i've highlighted them since the turn of the year and before it i will continue to do that and i'll link in with the housing officials again uh, i was on to them this morning again after this and basically encouraging them to make a proper submission to the department to take into account all of the challenges that this may that this, this, that this may put up for the people in the area. All right, we'll keep in contact. But again, it's safety first, so it is. And uh, again, the, the, the people who own the building, they, they also have to, to make a living on this one. Uh, but again, the planning, the fire service, all of those have to be um, up to date. And that's what you're uh, keeping an eye on there. Councillor Mike Crow, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Now, comment lines open if you do want to get through to us. And there's quite a few comments coming in today about a number of issues uh, today. And uh, Keith, the situation on Cara is deteriorating rapidly uh, before our eyes. And um, again, we need more guard presence around the area. And uh, it's difficult to go for a walk now, this caller said. Um, why are there so many refugees coming into our country? We can't even look after our own people um, because they're fleeing from other countries. And we, as a European country, have a duty of care to take these people in and uh, process them as they come in. And that's the law. Now, though, let's take a short commercial break and we're back just after these. A very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme on this Monday morning. Let me go to Deputy David Cullinan of Sinn Féin and their spokesperson on health who joins me uh, on the programme this morning. Um, Deputy Cullinan, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, last Friday, you um, released a statement in relation to scoliosis and patients waiting on a waiting list for so long. Yes, so I think people listening to your programme uh, will have seen over the last number of years that there has been many attempts to address what is long wait times and the numbers of children with scoliosis and spina bifida who are waiting for very complex surgeries. Many of these children are waiting years on end and the difficulty is that the longer they wait for surgeries, their spinal curvature uh, gets to a certain point where it becomes inoperable. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously an intolerable position to put any child in and it's a really stressful time for the parents. 
There have been several attempts from a number of ministers to try and address capacity issues. Promises have been made, and the most notable promise was seven years ago that came from Simon Harris when he was the health minister that no child would have to wait longer than four months. Uh, that obviously has never happened. In fact, the vast majority of children wait much longer than that. And then in more recent times, Stephen Donnelly reiterated that promise on the back of what he said was a 19 million euro investment that would go into children's orthopaedic services. And he told it all in, in response to our uh, motion uh, on Tuesday night when he made his own contribution that the, the assurance he was given from Children's Health Ireland when that 19 million euro additional investment was made two years ago was that at the end of that year, again, no child would wait longer than four months. And again, that didn't happen. But astoundingly, the minister also informed at all that he wasn't confident or he could not guarantee that all of that 19 million euro was spent uh, for the purposes of which it was intended. Mm. And obviously that raises accountability and transparency issues. And there's a real frustration, in my view, coming from the families uh, and parents of those children, many of which were outside the doll. There was over 20 children with spina bifida and scoliosis that were protesting outside the doll, asking politicians of all political persuasions uh, to support the motion, but more importantly, to do more. And, and that's where we're at. We, we have to move beyond the broken promises. Uh, we have to put a plan in place that delivers for these children. Um, nobody is saying that there's a magic solution here because there isn't, uh, but parents want to be front, front and centre in relation to those solutions, which is why they're calling for a task force that they would sit on with clinicians that would have real teeth and that can bring a level of accountability to all of this, which hasn't been there. Can, can I put it to you that um, there is an election in the offing and um, by, by October of this year, perhaps we may have one and we don't know where Sinn Féin is going to be in government or out of government. But why why has it, why have we not looked abroad and, and sending the young people in question who are the ones that will benefit from this if they get it early in life, send them to the UK or elsewhere in Europe and, and get it done abroad, get the operation done abroad so they have a quality of life rather than waiting and wondering and waiting. Well, I've been working on this issue not just over the last number of weeks, and, and bear in mind the motion that we brought before the doll was a product of a number of meetings I did with advocate groups and, and parents of children with scoliosis and spina bifida. So the motion was a direct uh, uh, outworking of their wishes and what they wanted to see. Um, but it was last year when I was raising this issue, and when we raised the issue in the doll previously, uh, a year ago or more, uh, we were told that there was progress being made. We raised it before the minister made the investment of 19 million euro. And again, that investment came on the back of political pressure. But at that time, um, I had put it to Stephen Donnelly that the previous plan that was put in place by Simon Harris, when he made that commitment seven years ago, that no child would wait longer than four months, was based on a number of things. One was to increase capacity in the system itself uh, in Ireland. That means more specialist surgeons, because this is a very complex mm -hmm. area, more surgical theatre capacity, but also there's pre-operative care, post-operative care, transitional care, aftercare are all part of it, including ICU and high dependency capacity. So all of that was part of it. A second part of the plan was exactly that, treatment abroad. And I spoke to the former head of the HSE who actually put that plan in place with Simon Harris. And what happened was it was actually working well. There was over 30 children who were seen abroad in clinics in Germany, in Britain and elsewhere. And then for whatever reason, uh, it was stopped before COVID. So COVID wasn't the issue. It was stopped well in advance of COVID. And then as that stopped, the waiting list started to go up again. So I can't answer the question as to why they stopped it. 
but for me that was a mistake and what i have said is that all options have to be looked at including where possible because for some children traveling long distances given that they're in real pain may not be yeah. a, a solution for them but for some families it is an option and we have to look at all of those um potential solutions so yes treatment abroad is certainly one of the options but we also have to continuously look at how we increase capacity here and in relation to specialist surgeons and um, i strongly believe that we have to through international recruitment do everything we can to try and recruit additional specialists because uh, there are only a small number of surgeons who can perform these really complex surgeries uh, and i'm not saying that's an easy solution I've, I've never said that and nor have the families or the advocate mm. groups but what we can tolerate and this is the point about accountability we can't have a situation where 19 million euro of taxpayers money is given to children's health ireland and um, on an understanding that it would lead to at the end of that year no child waiting longer than four months and then to find out from the minister that there's actually no guarantee the money was spent for those purposes or all of it. Some of it was, but not all of it. That is really frustrating for parents. And that's why, um, while we need a plan and while we all understand that that will take time, we also need accountability and transparency around those plans and delivery of those plans. I um, and I think that's missing. I, I suppose my concern would be that I'm long enough around um, 34 years doing this programme and I'm long enough around to know that this, this wheel goes so slowly that in 10 years' time, whoever's sitting in this chair, will they be looking back and saying, God, nothing has happened in 10 years. These unfortunate young people have now become adults and will it become the next big scandal indeed of health? Well, I, I share your frustration and, you know, what I, what I say to people when they raise issues like that with me is that I can only start with where we're at right now. I can't turn back the clock if we do end up in government and there is a Sinn Féin-led government and I was Minister for Health. I can only at that point then bring a new and fresh energy to it. I'm not saying there's any magic solutions. I'm certainly not saying we can turn this around in a year. But I think what we can do is work with parents, work with advocates, work with clinicians to put in place a plan. And then what needs to happen is there has to be accountability in relation to that plan. So I would not countenance a situation where additional taxpayers' money is given to a hospital or to, in this case, a group of hospitals in, mm -hmm. in terms of Children's Health Ireland, and then not know month on month or over the course of two years where that money is going. That's the job of government. That's the job of the department and the HSE. Um, but there are things that can be done, including allowing access uh, to the private sector here in this state for for less complex orthopaedic surgeries for other children that can free up then capacity for maybe more complex surgeries. But also the preoperative care uh, is something that private hospitals can do. So I would look at the totality of healthcare in this state on this island. How can we maximise what we have? How do we increase that capacity? Obviously, the new National Children's Hospital, when that's built, will be a game changer. But we still need to look at CAPA and how we increase capacity there. There are issues in relation to paediatric urology services, which is linked to this issue. So that's the point that these children have multiple needs um, and uh, all of that's part of the individual care plan for each child. So we have to do all of those things, including looking at treatment abroad, put a plan in place, put the resources behind it, and then make sure there's real accountability. So uh, I don't think anybody can credibly say that they have all of the answers to this issue and it can be dealt with very quickly and um, because i think that would be to unfairly raise the expectations of families and children but we certainly can do more and we have to do more 
All right, thank you indeed uh, for joining us today, David Cullen, TD indeed, and, and Sinn Féin spokesperson on health, uh, for joining us uh, today on the programme. Thank you. Oh, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's uh, programme. There's an event next month, indeed, uh, to officially launch the new social prescribing service in Galway City. Uh, um, and it is for Galway City. There is one in the county as well, uh, which is done by the GRD uh, group of people as well. Suzanne McCain joins me, social prescribing coordinator, and she sits up to me today. Suzanne, good to see you again. How are you? Hi, Keith. How are you? Good to see you. Um, what Thank exactly you. is social prescribing? In very simple words... Um, in a nutshell, Keith, I'd describe it as a free support for people who are over 18 um, and it's connecting them in with, uh, or reconnecting them in with activities, groups, specialised supports in their local area. So, if, okay, so there's a good gang of people listening to us in the city and the county today. So yeah. just focusing on the city, because GRD look after the county, I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, what what type of people, I don't mean age, demographic, what type of people should be availing of the service? The, the service is open to everybody and, and I mean I'm currently working with people in the age range from, from 18 to 83 and they link in with social prescribing for a variety of reasons. It can be um, that they have um, recently retired or they just moved to Galway. It's really kind of largely when there's been a change in, in their circumstances. Now that could be a friend, their friend that they used to socialise with moved away or it could be that they've lost a loved one or they're in recovery from um, addiction or mental health issues and they just need a little bit of help connecting with things happening in their local community. So is it, again, you correct me, is it a form yeah. of friendship then? It, it's very... Mentoring, friendship. Yeah, it's very dependent on the, the needs and the wants of the individual. Um, so, for example, if I just, and, and I don't know if this would be helpful, if I take you through a couple of examples of the people that I'm yeah, currently without working identifying with. Them, yeah, yes, please. of course, of course. Um, so, one lady that was referred in to me uh, before Christmas um, is retired and she really just wants to get out of the house once a week. You know, she doesn't want to, to be overloaded with, with things. Um, she just wants one thing to do. So, the way that went, happened was she was referred into me we met we had a chat I explained more about my role then um, she happens to live close to a community centre so we met in the community centre we had a look around I introduced her to the um, the reception staff in the, the community centre and then it was like right in the centre there's x y and z and she said well right I don't want x or y I'm going to try z so I identified somebody who was part of that group the three of us went, we had a, a cup of tea and a chat and she was able to ask the person about the group, what happens, how it works. So when she joined the group, she had physically been in the building for uh, already. She knew the layout, she knew where the yeah, toilets yeah, was, the yeah. receptions. So it takes the, a bit the of the anxiety. Exactly. And, but she also had somebody there waiting to welcome her in mm -hmm. as well. So it, it's that sort of support. Or, um, for example, another person I met in Air Square and we got the bus together to go out to a coffee morning in a community resource centre. And so she knew then where to get the bus from, where to get off the bus. And I was with her for the first two times we went to the coffee morning. So it's that bit of support. So it's support in the nicest possible way, but gives people a better quality of life. Kind of breaks maybe a habit that they have of not leaving the house. COVID did an awful lot of damage like that. 
It did, it did. And, and I mean, one gentleman that I'm working with, he was fairly active himself prior to COVID. And he said he just got out of the habit. And it was really hard to get into the habit. And some of the things that he was involved in are, were no longer going on. So we had a chat again and um, there's a lot of men's sheds happening around yeah, Galway. Yeah. So it was one of them. So I, we met of an evening in a car park, me in my car, him in his, and I drove to the men's shed and he followed me. So then he knew exactly where it was. Again, I had arranged for someone from the men's shed to be there half an hour early. <laughs> You'll notice the theme developing of tea and chats. We had yeah. a tea and a, a cup of tea and a chat. And he said, thanks very much, Suzanne. I'm grand now. You know, sorted. Yeah. So different people need different levels of support. Now, it is designed to be a short term support. So, in the end, people have to have the capacity to get themselves there. I I can do that kind of. But you take them on the first two steps, maybe? Yes. Yeah. First two, three, depending on the person. Yeah. Um, and, And even one of the people that I was working with before Christmas, they were involved in a group. Then Christmas came, there was a break. So, it was about a month before things were starting back up again in January. And the anxiety had creeped back in again, a bit of anxiousness, a bit of nervousness about going back. So I said, look, I'll go with you for the first time in January. And then that was able to reestablish them into the routine and they could go themselves. But I suppose to take it back to your original question about friendship, some people who participate are looking to develop friendships. They're looking to develop really strong connections in their local communities. Other people just, they want a little bit of social socialising. Mm. You know, they want to get out of the house. They want to do something different, but they don't necessarily want a big commitment to join a group or to become a uh, member of something. Uh, having to be at somewhere at seven o'clock every, every Tuesday exactly. night. Exactly. That could be, uh, it could be... A routine they don't want. Yeah. It could but they're be. in full control, you're saying to me. Exactly. Exactly. And it's about empowering people to make their own choices. So you're, you're having the, the, the launch indeed next month on the 11th of March in the Menlo Park Hotel, nine o'clock uh, of a Monday morning. Yes. You're a brave woman, so you're at nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning, but you've had good interest already. We have, we have. Um, I'm the, the event is up on Eventbrite, and so we've had about almost 80 people register so far. And um, it, is, it is open to, to everyone, but we really do want to get the word out there that this is up and running in Galway because social prescribing has been running in Ireland for 12 years. It started in Mayo, then Donegal, and has mushroomed throughout mm. the country. I think there's roughly about 50 projects around the country. But Galway, we, we just started taking referrals in October. So it is still very new. I think, I think the name is what might throw people, social prescribing. So yeah. you, 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 you go to the doctor to get a prescription for medicine, but social prescribing, might, some people might not understand it. Uh, yeah, and I think that goes back to where it originated, and it originated with people going to their GP with social issues. So I think there's research that, that suggests, I think about 20% of GP visits are social issues, not medical issues. Wow. So that's where it kind of started off. It was in a response to that. And the acknowledgement of the social determinants of health and how important connecting into the community can be for not only your emotional and mental well-being, but for your physical mm. health as well. But as long as people understand that it, it is, you know, for Galway City, it's, it's free of charge and that's what this whole programme is about. Yeah. Um, but if you want to avail it, we have a number. So if you want to get a pen and paper uh, right in the back of your hand, we don't mind really. Uh, we'll give it to you in a moment. So we will. So how many can you take on, a, on an ongoing basis? 
It is designed to be a short-term support. So roughly it's about six to eight weeks that I'd work with work with someone. So at the moment I've got um, I, about 30 people on my books, so, so to speak. Wow. But the level of interaction is very different. And particularly when somebody's new, there's there's a quite uh, uh, there can be quite a high level of in, uh, interaction and and accompaniment and engagement, mm-hmm. and then some people it's it's more they they've linked in already and it's just a check in every now and then how are you doing or this is coming up you might be interested in it it's an event happening um, in the library or mm-hmm. or a walk. It's interesting now if they want to email you they can at Suzanne S U Z A N N E. Uh, at gcp.ie and we've got a number as well here it's an 083 number by the way so 083 196 9370 slowly again 083 196 9370 and if they call that number somebody will get back to them Yes, I will get back to them. So it, it, it is me. Social prescribing in Galway is, is, is me. me. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure now. No, yeah. no, no. And who are you hoping will go along on the 11th, one to the 11th? Well, um, it, it's, it's twofold. We are hoping that organisations that might refer people in will attend. Mm. Um, and that would largely be HSE related um, not necessarily GPs, but uh, affiliated public health nurses, OTs, dietitian, podiatrists. That's who I've gotten referrals from so far. Um, but it is also open to the public if, if they want to know a bit more about it, because social prescribing, people can self-refer. You don't have okay. to be referred in. So the key number today is 0831969370 is the number, mm-hmm. or Suzanne at gcp.ie. We'll come back into us after the 11th and let us know you get on. Well, as it happens, the 14th, the Thursday, is International Social Prescribing Day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want me to come in on that day in particular or... We'll get the, the, the young male man outside to talk to you as you're leaving and see <laughs> where we can put you. But thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Thank uh, you Suzanne McCain, uh, well done. Keep up the good work and uh, thank you indeed. And again, if you want to get further details on this, Galway City Partnership is based in uh, on the Headford Road in Galway. And... Um, but you can ring the number 083-196-9370. Uh, thanks for popping into us Lovely. today on Thank the programme. Thank you, Keith. Suzanne, good to see you again. Thank you for popping into us. Now, though, let me go to Frances Byrne, who's the Director of uh, Policy at Early Childhood Ireland. And 73% of Connacht uh, public want guaranteed access to high-quality early years and school age for children in their community. Uh, so says the uh, barometer for 2024. Frances, is that achievable? Good morning. Um, It absolutely is. I think Ireland is very much on the way, um, a good part of the way along that journey. Uh, We have have work to do, though, and Early Childhood Ireland has been looking since last year's budget for a a new target because we reached an important milestone of €1 billion in 2023. So we would like to see government, whether it's this one or the next one, produce a new uh, target and a five-year plan so that all of your listeners who are parents or going to be parents um, will have certainty about the first few years of their child's life. But getting 73%, um, sorry, 73% of the kind of public want guaranteed access to high-quality early learning uh, years and uh, school-age care as well for children in their community, that, that's, it's quite a jump really in a very short space of time. So it's a mixed picture, Keith, to be honest. So there are parts of Galway where uh, parents will tell you, look, 
um, we found it fairly easy. We've good choice in terms of preschools or if they need um, uh, childcare uh, access to early years before then. Um, but then there will absolutely be parts of the county where you'll have uh, mothers in particular saying, look, when child number two is coming along, I told the creche before I told, you know, my my best friend because I needed to, to, to be in a queue for a place. In other countries, that doesn't happen. Proper planning takes place so that the everybody can know and assume and take for granted that they will have access uh, to a place. We have a lot of high quality. We have a lot of inclusion going on within the four and a half thousand um, settings. But we need to see that guarantee in place so that every child can have access to those places. And we do have some way to go. Early Childhood Ireland is very buoyed by the fact that the public, including the public in, in, in Galway and beyond, is very supportive of that work. We need that um, support, particularly in the run up to the general election that's, that's expected um, in the next year or so. So we're very heartened by our seventh Early Childhood Ireland barometer showing that level of support across the province and across the country. I know we've covered it many times indeed, uh, speaking to operators who are finding it very difficult to financially survive. Uh, You're talking about 4,500 settings right across the country. Um, I mean, are any of them struggling? So, it's again, it's a mixed picture, but certainly the number one issue that our members in Galway and beyond tell us about every day of the week in early childhood Ireland is about staffing. So, you know, we are seeing a very high value placed by the public in this barometer with 61% of Connacht people agreeing that when CRET staff have university degrees, they must have the same terms and conditions as teachers, which is not the case now. If that were to happen, then we would see that the 30,000 strong workforce is valued and we would see very significant and sustainable progress made Um to building the entire system with all of its challenges. There's really high qualified staff going into settings in Galway this morning on relatively low pay, no guarantee of a raise um, and so on. That really needs to change. And again, Early Childhood Ireland is really heartened to see the support from the public on that um, throughout Connacht. It's such an important element of a high quality system. And that's the issue that other countries have managed to resolve And so attracting high quality, highly qualified people into the sector happens in other countries because of the value that the public places and indeed politicians following it up through proper terms and conditions for those staff. Uh, So if they want to get further details on our conversation, where, where where would you send them? Well, we would love them to be talking to their local politicians about the importance of the early years and school age care setting. There's um, a sector, there's myriad research to show this is the most important period in children's lives. And for any other details on the barometer, earlychildhoodireland.ie. And they can also get in touch with, they can follow us on Twitter, of course, but they can also get in touch with us at policy at earlychildhoodireland.ie. Francis Byrne, Director of Policy at Early Childhood Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the programme for the details can be had uh, from uh, Early Childhood Ireland for further details. Interesting conversation, Francis. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the programme. I want to go to Banlasloe at this stage because the Banlasloe Flood Relief Scheme uh, consultation is taking place tomorrow in the Shearwater Hotel. Centre Ashley Dolan should be joining me on the line now. Centre Dolan, good morning to you. Good morning, Patricia. Good 
morning, Keith. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Now, you're encouraging the people in Ballinasloe area to call into the Shearwater Hotel to see the final preferred option for flood relief plans for the town. Uh, this is going on quite a bit, so it is. Oh, Keith, exactly. I mean, uh, it's been a consultation phase. I suppose what the group here and people are going to see tomorrow from 1pm to 7pm is the final sort of preferred options. So they did this consultation in the end, October 2022 was our last consultation, public consultation. And at that time, people were able to come in and they could see that there were maybe two options for places like here in town. So you have an option here in town, Keith, where they could open up maybe some of the arches under the bridge that are currently covered over and that could manage the flow of water, for example. Or that they would have floodgates, for example, in by Shlina Howen, St. Michael's Church here, when people are crossing from the car park into the square that that would control the water and then that way prevent flooding in the town itself. But it's not just the town itself, it's it's Port Nick, it's Crea, it's the Pines in Crea, it's out on Derry Mullen Station Road. And we know that Derry Mullen as well, the group out there with Galway County Council way back in 2011, you know, invested in flood wall there. So it's about how all of these measures are going to protect all of the town and all of the communities in the town. So it really so, would be worthwhile if people even have 10 minutes to pop in and have a look. But we need to see this moved, Keith, as you've said there. It's gone on a long time. We need this to get to a tender stage. We need to get it to construction, basically. We need the town to be protected. We see that weather events are getting worse. We can see that climate change is happening. We can see even now, like, you know, last year, for example, the callows and everything, you know, farmers really had their lands flooded for a huge part of the year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it is something that's happening all the time and all around us, we can see it. So who will be in uh, the Shearwater Hotel tomorrow from, give me the timings there again. So from 1pm to 7pm, Keith, so people might Six be able hours. to do it maybe during lunch hour or, you know, maybe after work or something like that pop in. And it's, as you say there, it's the engineers from OPW. Um, it's also from Arab and Ryan Handley. These are sort of the environmental consultants. So a lot of reports have been done sort of around the, the hydrology of the area, um, sort of they've done, uh, you know, sort of flora and fauna, birds and uh, habitats and so on. So they've, they've done a lot of work. And I guess what they're looking at here is what is the best options for each area and how do we best uh, prevent any further future flooding of the area? So people would always see, you know, the huge sort of banks, the sandbags and everything coming out when we got really heavy floodwaters in the recent past. And it's really how do we make sure that we've got a plan in place where our town is not going to be affected by future flooding. So really, it'd be great to have people's feedback, any input in it, because this is the plan that will go forward for the town. So really great to have people pop in if they get a chance, Keith. But I mean, you're talking about some very talented people there, the OPW, Ryan Hanley and others. Surely yes. what they're putting forward tomorrow should not be questioned unless somebody has a major concern over it for their property and or otherwise. Surely this this is... The, the defined scheme and this oh, is yeah. where it should happen. Yeah, exactly, Keith. I think people are extremely supportive. There's a lot of interest, you know, there's a lot of curiosity because this is a plan, you know, it's going to be a multi-million euro investment into the town of Banlasloe. But for example, uh, on the Shannon Bridge Road there in Port Nick, um, Keith, there's a culvert underneath the road that takes one of the streams and manages sort of the, the flooding in that area. But that culvert is quite narrow. So what they're looking at doing, for example, on one of the options was to widen that. And so there, there'll be a lot of construction works in the town when this plan goes ahead. So it's just letting people know 
this is the proposal, this is what they're looking at, and they're trying to ensure that they've got the best plan to go forward. And and again, it's part of this public consultation phase. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting for people, but also that we show and uh, encourage and prioritise with work with OPW and with Minister Patrick O'Donovan as well to move this project forward, uh, to move this now to the next stage. It's a five-stage process. It's currently still at the stage of design and consultation, which has been going on for a long number of years. We now need to see this move forward. And really, I think it would be great that people themselves have been able to see this project, have a knowledge of it, um, you know, and supporting it going okay. forward for the next year or so, you know, to move to, move it basically to construction. So anybody then who's interested uh, should go along tomorrow to yeah. the Shearwater Hotel from 1pm until 7pm. Yeah, sure. And um, thank so, you, Keith. So don't come out giving out that you weren't consulted. You are being asked now. To go along. <laughs> can I ask you? Show what it means to the town. Yeah. Exactly. Thank can, you, Keith. Can I ask you for you go? Whether are you going in the general election? You're a senator now, so you're. But are you going to go in the general election? Have you been selected or even talked about? So, Keith, uh, yeah, please go out when that time comes for the convention. But yes, I'd I'll be hopefully going forward for the Roscommon Galway area. Um, so going forward as TD, uh, please God, and yeah, we have a real opportunity, I think, for the area here. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be uh, in time to come. There's quite a lot happening in the next few months now, I know, between the referendum and our local elections. Uh, so we'll, we have a lot of time ahead of us. But uh, yeah, between now and February of next year is probably when we're going to have a notice on an election, a general election, that is. Well, I'm told it's going to be October of this year. So that convention, I'm sure, <laughs> will take place very soon. It's going to be interesting. But yeah, confirming to me that you're putting your name in the hat uh, for selection. Um, Senator Ashley Dolan, thank you for joining us. So that event tomorrow in the uh, Shearwater Hotel from um, 1pm until 7pm tomorrow night if you want to go along and get involved in that. Now yet to come on the programme by the way, uh, the wonderful Gary Hines is our Galway great today and if you've missed any of these series just go back uh, to galwaybfm.ie, go to listen and they're all there. Today's is very special like all the others they're all very special. I want to thank Pat Cantwell by the way, he dropped me in a lovely uh, picture during the week to say thank you for having him as a Galway great and I only saw it so I did this morning so apologies Pat on that. Uh, but we're getting a very strong reaction uh, to each and every one of them. Today is going to be just as strong because Gary Hines has a lovely story to tell, where she was born, how she ended up in Galway, how Druid started, how they picked the name for Druid. Um, it's just a really relaxed conversation, like a fireside chat with a red light in the middle of it and me talking to her. Uh, so that's coming up uh, just after the 11 o'clock news and death notices and weather and all that comes with it uh, and job spots. So that'll be coming up the way and that'll bring us indeed up to about 20 minutes to quarter to 12. And then Darren Kelly is here. We're looking back on a great weekend in sport and what went wrong and what went right and if it went right at all. So we'll be looking at that as well. And uh, don't forget too, by the way, before we go to the 11 o'clock news, we're in Renmore. I do believe the location for our programme is going to be Flannery's Hotel yet again. Sure, we have keys to Flannery's. We know the kitchen. We know it inside out at this stage. We're going to be coming uh, to you courtesy of Mary Flannery and the team at Flannery's Hotel uh, on the Dublin Road. If anybody wants to get involved in that programme, what you need to do is pick up the phone right now, 091-770-077 and talk to John Morley straight away. If you ring Siobhan, 091-770-077 and uh, she'll put you straight through to John. If you're in the Renmore area, from the Renmore area, grew up in the Renmore area, remember old Renmore, all that goes with it, uh, get dialing now 091 Let's head to news and then we're back with Galway Greats, which is Gary Hines.